0: The date is February 27th, 2011. This is free admission. That's right, free. With our debut show, we are here to present and discuss the exponentially exciting world of professional wrestling, both mainstream and, in the case of tonight, and most of the time, independent. But before we get into that, let me introduce myself. Again, I'm Ben Turpin. Hi. And I'm not alone. I'm joined by a guy who has a bigger infatuation with Batman the Animated Series than I do of Hayden Panettiere. And for those of you who know me, that's certainly saying something. JP Nichols, JP, welcome. Thanks for joining me, and how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay, thank you. You know, uh, just uh, had a bit of a buzz coming out of tonight's
0: show. You know, uh, it's a very, pretty solid show tonight, I I will say. And I guess, you know, I was going to come on here and ask you like a really cliche question, such as, JP, how's the weather in your neck of the woods today? But if I did that, I feel like a majority of the people listening would like really dislike you within the first minute of the first show. So, let's move on. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I guess, and these issues will obviously constantly come out, come up through the night. But uh, we come on with the internet pay-per-view, Chicago, Ridge, Illinois, the ninth anniversary show. Uh, what many people would agree a card, you know, that a card that not only lacked on paper but a little bit in promotion as well. Now, I'm certainly not at the school of thought that says. There needs to be a tremendous amount of promotion behind any particular event. Obviously, there are varying degrees, but especially on the internet, people were aware of this show. But I feel like aside from that, the main thing that this show had going against it was a very unappealing card and the matches, and it was very predictable, I thought.
1: Oh, I I certainly agree completely. I mean, going into the show, I mean, out of the eight matches that were on the show, there was only one that I would say that I was semi-torn over over what the result would end up being and not to mention the fact for a, a show of this capacity I mean when you look at Ring of Honor and you look at the anniversary show and see the type of shows that they put on in the past like just as an example I mean the 7th anniversary show which had um, uh, had Kent uh, and Nigel McGuinness in the main event and that's just like a gigantic match and then it's like you look at this card and then it's like in comparison you have Roderick Strong and Homicide in 2011 and right. it's like You know, no offense to either guy, but it just doesn't really stack up in comparison to
0: things that you've seen in the past. And and luckily for them, they ultimately put it in a much better spot on the card than the top position, but we'll get into that. And, you know, I talked about the promotion, you know, I... that they had the main matches for this set three months ago, so for people to say that they weren't, you know, really aware that they didn't really promote them that well, I'm not sure I particularly agree with that. Plus, as we'll, I'm sure, talk about in the future, the TV audience is so limited, so I'm not really sure, you know, how you can, like, intertwine the two. But, um, the, you know, like I said, they had the top three matches, or really four of the top matches on this show promoted, you know, with a, with a, you know th- since, like, December, early December.
1: Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the video packages that
0: they put together said it all. Now, the we come on with the internet pay-per-view, and I know the first thing that we both uh, kind of were, uh, kind of stuck out to us was the hard cam lighting. It was not good. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, well, like, literally, the moment that the show came on, I mean, I'm just sitting there, and it's like, are they going to turn the lights on? Right. I mean... <laughs> I'm just looking at that, and it's like, the sad thing is the side cameras, I mean, honestly looked very good, and then the main camera, it was just like, I mean, the show was shot in the dark.
0: Now, something that will come up constantly through the show, uh, at least for me, in pretty much every match, will be the crowd response. Uh, The crowd, at the the beginning, I know we both thought they were actually fairly hot. It's one of the biggest Chicago Ridge crowds, really since probably the Rising Above 2008 uh, pay-per-view. Um, and so, or so we thought they were going to be good, um, and like I said, this will come up throughout the show. But just they weren't really into anything, um, and if they were, they were doing it while they were sitting down. And you know, I I've, I've really been on this crowd's case for really over a year now, and they've had they had a lot of people in the building, and they just continued that trend. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They had bitter friends, stiffer enemies 2 last year, which is arguably one of the best shows uh, next to death be- Death Before Dishonor. They had Salvation, which was another great show and probably had one of the most underrated matches of the year, in my opinion, with the Briscoes and the House of Truth. They had Daniels and Richards, which, you know, was another big deal, uh, you know, based on the way that had been built. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like maybe I'm not giving them enough credit because, you know, we've certainly been highly critical of the internet pay-per-view audio. But, uh, you know, often at times the promotions, you know, will give priority, certain promotions will give priority to the commentary rather than the crowd. But, no, in this instance, it was certainly Chicago Ridge. Um, so what do you think about this? Oh. oh,
1: well, actually, I do have to say, I mean, regarding uh, because on subject of the audio with the commentary and the crowd, I mean, that's been a major issue with them ever stemming from the very first IP review that they had. And tonight, I honestly have to say that they had, like, the perfect balance. Right. I mean, uh, beyond the fact that the crowd was not as responsive as it could have been, had they been... More responsive, I would say that the audio balance was perfection.
0: And I right, and I mean, I mentioned us being critical, and, you know, when we watched those other shows you know, so maybe I'm kind of just underestimating the response, but as you mentioned, they actually seem to have the le- levels worked out, but when I watched Death Before Dishonor, you know, I could see the people in Toronto going apeshit. When I watched Glory by Honor and Final Battle from New York City, I could see the crowd going apeshit. Tonight, they just didn't really react, you know, and it was like really the oddest things would pop them, like the biggest pops of the night were the Hay chants, and like when uh, Homicide randomly se- or Roderick Strong randomly set up a chair in the corner, like the crowd just like started going crazy um and another example of this that i thought was weird is like after and we'll get into this but after the anx kings of wrestling match they're giving kenny and titus a standing ovation and you have like the first four rows sitting on their ass but then you have like the entire general admission and the last six rows are standing Just makes no sense oh, certainly i mean uh i actually do have to say i
1: mean that uh The hey chant especially reminded me of uh, one very infamous chant that stemmed out of Glory By Honor 8, or uh, 7, excuse me, Glory By Honor 7, two years ago. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, I I will say at times it did make me laugh just because of how Claudio reacted to it, but at other times I was just, like, getting very fed up.
0: And I know we really focused on the crowd there for a few minutes, but I think it's it's really a big role in this show for me. So we started off the show Colt Cabana David Richards. I like this choice for the opener. Um, you know, the card, I mean, the card was really weird in that you had, like, a lot of upper-mid card type matches. You know, so I felt confident that something like this, or maybe even the 2 out of 3 falls match might open the show. But I like this choice for the opener. Um... This match, too, you know, a lot of people are kind of critical on this match. You know, you have, like, two sides of the Colt Cabana bandwagon. You have the people that just, like, really hate him. you know, Or not hate him, but, you know, his act is stale. And then you have the other people who, like, really still love Colt and are totally oblivious to why the other people don't like him. Um, but this is, like, the one singles match that Davey really hasn't had, you know, with, like, the, the single, the established singles guy in our weight show. I was kind of looking forward to it in that sense. What'd you think of this? Uh, Well, I mean, it was definitely a good choice of opener since obviously,
1: you know, it's in Chicago, Colts' hometown. And so obviously the crowd is going to be at the very least into him on top of being into Davey, you know, who's Ring of Honor's son, in a sense, apparently. And then uh, I actually did uh, like the match as a whole because, I mean, it's been no secret that I've been a bit sick of Davey Richards type of matches over the past. Year or so. I mean, just because of the fact that they all sort of blend together, and this one did not real really fall under that category. I mean, it felt. I mean, it felt more like the type of match that you would have. You know, want to get a crowd into a show. You know, as opposed to where Davy is booked towards the top of the card and has to completely steal the show.
0: Yeah, and I thought there was a lot of kind of creative spots here, and I mean, it was exactly the type of match that I expected. So very solid opener. Um, at this point, they introduced the first of the top five moments. It being nine years, they uh, had this idea to throw on the top five moments, which I was kind of harsh on. Um, and you can briefly talk about that if you want to. But CM Punk's Farewell was the first one. And they, I, this will, well, we'll go ahead and discuss it now. But they actually did two of these, and it looked like it was going to be a prelude to what they would do the rest of the night. But then they just, like, ran them at intermission, and they never did the other three moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh at the very least, on the
1: subject of the five moments that they chose as a whole, I mean, the five moments entirely were just kind of strange. I mean, obviously, the punk's farewell is well-deserved. I mean, the, as is Joe Kabashi. I mean, the, the first main event, you know, I suppose we could give or take. Um, and then the other two are Steen and Generica. Well, Steen turning on Generica at Final Battle 09. And then the last one was... I'm trying to remember offhand. It doesn't matter was oh. it
0: did we talk about the first show three way oh, I'm not oh, sure
1: oh oh yes, we did, but um okay, yeah, I mean regardless it was a it was a very like uh, strange thing, and then, as you said, I mean the fact that they you know just ran two of them and then just sort of stopped I mean, I don't really understand that was just thing. an odd
0: thing that I think we both picked up, uh but something else that was very odd, it was very uh t v esque type uh I don't know, that's the vibe I got. When they come back from the first Top 5 moment, we're looking at Grizzly Redwood and Kyle O'Reilly already in the ring. What would you think of that? (laughs) Well, with with Grizzly, I was a little
1: indifferent to it. I mean, since, you know, no offense to Grizzly, but it's, well, it's Grizzly. Whereas with Kyle O'Reilly, who's supposed to be built up as this big up-and-comer
0: along with Adam Cole, that... It really, really bothered me, right. honestly. This, um, so yeah, you know, I've been, the Four Corner Survivals, that was like a, peer, like, that was always a trademark of Gabe Sapolsky, was the Four Corner Survival. He did a lot of them. I never had the opinion of them that I did once Pierce started booking them, and he was booking them literally every weekend, and it would just be the leftovers, and they've kind of started to rear their hand, head around the corner again. Um, And I could probably rant about this for a long time, but when Pierce booked them, they were always the heels versus the faces, in which sometimes you would have, like, a really cool-looking four-corner survival with a lot of good guys, but it would be, like, three heels. Um, I I, I remember one particularly. It was, like, D'Lo Brown, Austin Aries, some other heel, and Roderick Strong, and they just, like, teamed up on Roderick Strong the entire match. Um, So, luckily, that isn't the case this time around. They are actually competitive matches. And I know a lot of people saw this match as kind of one of those four-corner survivals with leftovers. But actually, everybody in here made sense. You have the Mike Bennett and Steve Carino story. Uh, Steve Carino, of course, how does he put it on Twitter? He's trying to uh, recoup his uh, pro wrestling or his recovery to pro wrestling, I guess, as he puts it. Um, And then you have Kyle O'Reilly and there's actually varying degrees here because you have Kyle O'Reilly and Bennett who were both who were in the finals of the race to the top, Grizzly Redwood and Steve Carino. You know, Steve Carino's mentoring the young guys. So this actually had a lot going for it as compared to the other four corners finals. But as a match, you know, it broke down. They kind of did a lot of stuff. Uh, what do you think? Oh,
1: well, I mean, obviously, uh, it also, I mean, the match as a whole, it just further annoyed me over why Kyle didn't even get an entrance because to me, obviously, he, like, completely... Stole the show in the match. I mean, just with the type of things that he was doing. I mean, like when he out of nowhere did his run off the apron, knee into Bennett on the floor. Agreed I mean, completely. He, like and he was just like doing all these like really neat things that was you know just trying to get him noticed. Right. And then you know, but like the the match itself, I mean, I thought was fine. I mean, it wasn't you know it wasn't bad. It wasn't
0: necessarily. Good. I mean, the ending really left me, like, very confused. And that was kind of a trend over the course of the night, finishes. Uh, Maybe this one was just different because, you know, of the finish itself or the move itself. But this match was really just about Bennett and Carino, you know, and I agree. I mean, Kyle was the star of the match, so it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because i much rather would have seen O'Reilly in a singles match. But, I mean, I guess it's better than him not being on the show at all. Um, Anyways, the match broke down. And Bennett wins with a, uh, with a, what was it? A side uh, effect, I guess. Uh, of... It was like a, yeah, a rock bottom side effect. I believe he calls it awesome coolness.
1: Honestly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I've never I, heard I, that one. I I, I, I,
0: I'm, I could be wrong, but don't quote me on it. But I'm pretty sure that's the name. Okay. Well, it's just like they're doing all this shit in the match, and then he does that, and it's like, okay, <laughs> it's the finish. And yeah, I mean, I, I could mean... go on a Big Mike Bennett rant right now, but. Uh, Maybe I'll save that for another day. But um, top five moments, we have another one. Uh, This time it was the Air of Honor Begins, Daniels, Low-Key Daniels. At least this time they didn't cut somebody's um, entrance. Michael Elgin, El Generico, something I know you were really looking forward to. Talk about it. Well, I was just mainly really looking forward to this match just for the fact that it had all the
1: makings of a really great match because El Generico is the type of wrestler that you compare him with anyone that is relatively unknown and he will likely go out there, do everything that he can in order to get his opponent to look good, and then the match as a whole will be a gigantic success, and the person, his opponent will come out looking great. Like, just as an example, uh, from the Curse of Gorilla Island, when El Generico faced Ricochet. And that match was, you know, just phenomenal. And Ricochet came out looking like a million bucks because of it. And this match, I mean, Elgin, I thought, at points, just looked like a beast which is, like a the type of thing that Ring of Honor has not necessarily had with the loss of guys like Bison Smith and Skullcrusher. And, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that, to say that they were the best, like, options in the world, but, I mean, it was just really neat to see a guy like this in Ring of Honor again, you know, just sure. as an example, when Generico went to do his little uh, Tornado DDT and then... Elgin caught him and just ran across the entire floor with him into the guardrail, yeah. I, I like, backflipped
0: out of that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that, that really added a good effect, because he actually ran, like, all the way across the ring. So, um, there was, I mean, he, I thought when uh the, he did, uh, Generico did the Tornado DDT, and Elgin just took it like a champ. Um, and it really bothered me, because, like, it looked so good, and then the crowd just didn't react, and I know you mentioned, you know, it, it's mainly unfamiliarity, but you're talking about an ROH crowd, you know, they're supposed to get into cool stuff when it's happening in front of them, they're not, you know, but, um, uh, I mean, there was a lot of good spots here, and I mean, I disagree. agree, I mean, this is the best that Elgin's looked in ROH, given I've, well, I saw him in Louisville, which I guess some of that TV stuff has aired now, he was in like a tag match, well, it was essentially a handicap match where he tagged with Roderick Strong, who stood on the outside the whole time against two jobbers, and I don't think he looked particularly good in that match. And he had um, he was in a six-man tag in a tag match, actually, the last time he was booked. And I think that's kind of a problem, but it was really good that they got him on this pay per view because if you look at the last time he was booked on DVDs, it was um, in mid-November, and while that's only like five DVD shows, that's like three and a half months, so that's a long time not to... You know be on it i guess on a dvd show but um yeah
1: yeah and then uh you know continuing with the talk of like match endings tonight i right. mean uh this one just kind of also struck me out of nowhere but in all honesty i was basically okay with it just for the fact that generico like just having a quick roll up over elgin at least doesn't hurt elgin too much i mean but obviously you don't want to take have Generico lose because, you know, he's supposed to be a big contender in
0: the title picture. And there was one fantastic spot here where Generico goes for a brain buster, Elgin accidentally hits Turner, I guess in the eye, uh, uh, Paul Turner, the ref. Uh, he, Truth tries to come, uh, come off the top, Generico moves, Elgin catches him in, like, fire, fireman, fireman's carry position, sorry. And then he, with uh, Truth on his shoulders, he actually power bombs Generico. Um, And that actually is what led to the roll at finish, but I thought that was a fantastic spot. That again, the crowd didn't really react much to. Oh, yeah,
1: I I mean, that was phenomenal, I thought. I mean, just for the fact that I honestly, personally, offhand,
0: cannot say that I've seen anything quite like that. It was very innovative. And again, you know, you mentioned you didn't particularly like the finish, but with the loss, Elgin basically loses nothing here. I mean, he remains super strong, and he lost to Generico, so... Mm-hmm. even if it was more of a decisive finish he probably wouldn't have lost much because he did look so good here but so after the match uh, they're beating down generico strong cuts out uh, strong comes out I think he talks a good bit uh, at this point I was like actually really hoping they would do what they ultimately did which was put the title match on now I think I takes to do like two minutes before they did it um so yeah I mean they're going to do the match and then it looks like they're not going to do the match and then homicide hits a tope and they just ring the bell But what did you think of this match?
1: And and the spot,
0: obviously, that it was in. Oh, um, well, the spot that it was in, I thought,
1: was perfect, especially with the way that the match ended up ending. Because, obviously, I mean, with the way that it ended, you obviously do not want to send anyone... Well, not necessarily send anyone home, but you also don't want viewers to see... uh, a match ending like that, and then, you know, have that stuck in their mind for the remainder of the night. But the match itself, I was actually pleasantly surprised with. I mean, it was no secret that going into this match, I was just not expecting very much at all. And then when they added the no-holds-barred street fight stipulation to it, I had a bit more expectations for it. But the match itself, it was pretty fun. I mean, just especially for the fact that this is like the, a type of brawl that beyond um, Steen and Generico's feud last year, it wasn't very... It has not been very commonplace in Ring of Honor for a while. I mean, um, but, I mean, the crowd was actually, you know, they seemed relatively into this, I mean, in my opinion, at least. I mean, I don't know
0: about you. I mean, what did you think? Uh, I mean, as far as the match goes, I mean, it just felt like a typical brawl to me that you would get out of Homicide, except maybe they went, like, a little bit further in some of the stuff that they did. Um, But then I thought the latter stage was pretty good, but the finish again was, like, really just... Not, I mean, it just was very flat. I thought, um, and at this point, I guess we're like three for four in flat finishes, at least for me. And I'm not gonna go over what happened, but like Martini got involved a lot, um, and then uh, Martini hits like a low blow, and then hits an ace crusher, and then I think Roderick Strong comes in with a sit kick, and again, the Orange Crush backbreaker, which is probably one of my favorite moves right now. Um, I don't, I maybe Homicide doesn't know how to take it, but I mean, I think a problem too with the Orange crush backbreak. I don't know what you feel about it, but it's that people, one, don't know how to take it, I mean, they are professional wrestlers, I'm sure they know how to take it, but it seems like everybody's kind of screwed up taking it, other than El Generico and El Generico, of course, um, but then the crowd, too, isn't very conditioned to the move yet, even though he's done it for, like, several months now, even actually coming up on a year, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I personally am a
1: big fan of the move. I mean, like, I think that it's very, very innovative, you know, um, especially coming out of Roderick, who, you know, at one point was, well, the messiah of the backbreaker. Um, but, like, um, yeah, a lot of the fans just really do not seem to be, like, very well known to it. I mean, especially considering that the last few times that I can really remember seeing it as well were in Chicago, like, with, as an example... Uh, Salvation and the Roderick match with Ares. I mean, that was actually the sure. first time I really remem- really vividly remember it offhand. Right. But yeah. um, the ending itself to this match just, you know, it just seemed way overbooked to me. I, right. I mean, like, you know, as you said, I mean, the low blow and then just strong destroyed homicide afterwards. I mean, it just seemed to go on forever. Yeah, I it's mean, just I'm... really
0: too much to remember, to be honest. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, you know, I don't really have, like, enough of a pad to write down everything that happened. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> I mean, but...
1: Like, I mean, like I say, though, it was an okay match, I mean, but, you know, not really a ton to write home about.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I loved it being in this spot. Um, I don't think anybody wanted to see this in the main event, and, you know, I know we're going to talk about it later, but, like, Christopher Daniels and Roderick Strong, which appears to be the main event, or one of the main events for April 1st, which now doesn't have to be the main event, but... That's, like, just another, you know, like, match that I didn't want to see in that position. But it kind of puts some faith in Delirious now that, yeah, nobody wanted to see this in the main event. So here we are. We got a pre-intermission. And just to kind of break up the flow of the process, you know, where it seems like, you know, every ROH title match is the main event or, yeah, really has been like that for a long time. So it was really cool to see it here uh, before intermission.
1: Certainly. And then... um... During, I mean, also, I mean, going into, the, during the intermission, I mean, they did reveal tonight that, um, uh, the winner of the main event of the Briscoes and World's Greatest Tag Team would go on to face the Kings of Wrestling on April 1st, which, um, to me, I don't really know how I quite feel about it, just for the fact that going into this Atlanta weekend, they do have to sell 2 pay iPay-per-views. Right. At, and I'm not really quite sure on what all they can potentially book for the Saturday sh- Saturday afternoon show at this point.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean we'll talk about that momentarily. But the intermission, so yeah, they break from intermission. They have Cornette and Kevin Kelly in the ring, and they announce the next I pay-per-views, which are on April first and second in Atlanta. They did title them ROH takes center stage, uh, which I know you kind of laughed at. Um,
1: it's not a horrible name, it's just kind of I don't know sort of lame duck, I suppose I mean, especially when uh they for many a weekend, I mean they typically always stuck with the uh super card of honor type name and whatnot, but you at least want to have some type of appealing name going into the shows, I mean to at least like help with the presentation, I suppose, so we I mean, can- go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and then it's just kind of like, it just
0: seems a little bit lazy. I don't know. Might just be me. So we come back from intermission uh, with the Women of Honor match. This match is actually a rematch, or I don't know about a rematch, but two years, uh, two years ago it happened uh, in Chicago Ridge at the uh, Rising Above pay-per-view, so a rematch of sorts. But um, I actually, or unfortunately or fortunately, was unable to see this match, uh, but it only lasted three minutes, which is very surprising. Um, and there was actually a couple of uh, interesting notes that came out of it, like uh, I think Kevin Kelly or Dave Prazek mentioned, we might get some new women in Atlanta, or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that I had heard him say that, I mean, like, um, I wasn't sure if perhaps, I mean, considering that they had used time on the pay-per-view to once again say, oh, well, the Atlanta shows are eye-pay-per-view, so, I mean, maybe they were talking in reference to Sonny returning, but if not, I mean, like, I mean, potentially, like, since Del Rey, I mean, you know, has, you know, been trying to get new women to face. Like, if it were me, I would hope that it would be something like, potentially, maybe, having, like, Ayako Hamada come in and face Del Rey. Because uh, two of them uh, actually put on a fantastic match in Shimmer at some point last year, I believe April of last year. And that would be, like, a
0: good novelty way to uh, use Del Rey, Mania a weekend, in my opinion. And now, mischief. She's actually she got a win over Daisy Hayes, which set up this match. But the win was like two months ago. But she came out of that match really strong, and then they came here and they had a three-minute match, which kind of really surprised me. Um, I mean, I thought. I mean, these girls can obviously have a really good match. I don't know why you'd shortcut them. Plus, it doesn't really make sense in the sense or in the sense of you know how it was booked uh, on TV.
1: Yeah, and then not to mention the fact that I mean. You know, they just had the post match with Mischief uh, spitting, uh, right. yeah, spitting into uh, Del Rey's face. I mean, it just seemed very silly to me. Cause like the, I mean, I've said these women are capable of having like a great, like you know, 12 minute match or so, and then it's like they get a, a third of the time. It really just kind of confused me.
0: <laughs> So we then move on to, I guess, the three big matches of the show, uh, now that the world title match was out of the way, uh, for the tag team titles is the Kings of Wrestling defend against the All-Night Express of Kenny King and Rhett Titus, a match that particularly intrigued me on paper. Um, you know, a lot of people, they were like, you know, you can't really get your hopes up for this match, the Kings of Wrestling. It is the Kings of Wrestling, of course, but it is Kenny King and Rhett Titus, too, and they haven't particularly had... Um, a, a great match. Um, they've had a lot of good matches, but all this really did it, for me was a re- ended up being a recipe for like a breakout match. I think they had that breakout match. They did a lot of really cool stuff. Unfortunately, I don't think the crowd was really there for them for it. Um, me, I I really would have liked them to run an angle to establish the all night Express as baby faces at some point earlier in the show. Um, because really the crowd just didn't react to this match, other than as you know you alluded to previously, the uh, Claudio Castagnoli and the Hayes. Um, you know, and it is Kenny King and Rhett Titus, so I did think they need a little bit of help, you know, even in Chicago, because I mean what have they done in Chicago, right? So um, I think I think really like 95% of the people there probably saw this as a heel versus a heel match. But again, having said that, I thought this was, I thought it was a breakout match, and I thought it was really good.
1: Oh, I certainly agree. I mean, personally, I thought it was my personal favorite match coming out of tonight's show. I mean, Rhett especially just took a brutal amount of punishment from both Hero and Castagnoli. Like, I lost count at how many elbows and uppercuts he took. I mean, like, I was just surprised that he was even able to still stand after the amount of stuff that he took tonight. And then Kenny Kang especially. Um, like, the moment he made the the hot tag... And he just started tearing everything up. Like, I've always been very high on Kenny King ever since he was in FIP. Absolutely. Because he was in FIP for about two two or three years prior to coming into Ring of Honor. And I always felt that he had a ton of potential. I mean, because he... uh, Ironically, I always felt like... I mean, he reminded me a lot of Shelton Benjamin, but with... More personality than Shelton Benjamin, and that's not to knock Shelton necessarily, but Kenny just seems to have the full picture going, and he really displayed that tonight in the match, and especially when, out of nowhere, he hits that Shooting Star Press. So it was just like all the way across the ring. I right. just totally did not
0: expect that coming out of his uh, coming out of this match. Absolutely, and um, I mean, I thought they looked so good like the first five minutes of this match and i i really like the structure of the match i thought it was well paced so they come out they're looking really good and then they really get the heat on titus um and then like right before they started the heat segment there was a really cool spot where they did a pop-up european on uh red titus on the ring apron from claudio which i thought was a really cool spot um and then as you mentioned uh just the you know resonating the kenny king love uh the shooting star just kind of like blew me away uh Really didn't expect that. Um, I love when he does that leg cradle suplex. That always looks really good. Um, you know, but like I said, uh, it it felt like to me that the crowd was more, um, you know, they were more concentrated and focused on getting the haze in for every cardio movement than anything else. But yeah, well, I mean, well, that's like, um, like I said, it was very, very
1: reminiscent of the, the Twinkies. The infamous Twinkies chant, where it was just like, you know, at that time it was very clear that it's like, oh, Petey Williams is definitely not going to beat Austin Aries, and it was probably like the same type of bit with the crowd tonight, where they just had absolutely no thought of the possibility of All Night Express actually winning tonight, so, I mean, you know, as we've already said, the Chicago crowd hasn't exactly been the best crowd for a while, and I sort of feel like it might have been that
0: type of scenario tonight. And this was another kind of eh finish for me. I didn't think it was terrible, but it just kind of it kind of left an uneasy taste in my mouth. Um, I thought it was just morally kind of poorly executed. I mean, Hagedorn like, throws the elbow pad in the ring, which I guess King catches and hits with Hero. Um, Hero escapes, Claudio goes for a UFO, but he's like still winded, and then the elbow pad's laying in the ring, and... So, Hero comes back in while King has Claudio in, like, a body slam position, and Hero hits him with the elbow pad. I just thought it was kind of not executed that well, but it didn't really take away from the match that much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it was very, I mean, much like, you know, other endings that we've focused on tonight. I mean, it was just very awkward, more than anything. I mean, especially because it really felt like, to me, I felt like that match could have gotten, like, another few more minutes, and then it just kind of it kind of got shortchanged, like, right when the crowd was actually really, really getting into it, too. I mean, it's like, (laughs) the Chicago crowd's alive, and then right when they come alive, they just
0: killed it. And I feel it's certainly kind of the first... I feel like they're going to do multiple matches. It kind of felt like that to me. Having said that, I know the Kings are likely going to lose the title to Shelton and Benjamin come Atlanta, but it kind of felt like the first match in a series to me. Um... That's usually, I mean, that's how I felt as far as it getting changed on time. But um, at the, after the match, they kind of got a decent standing ovation. The All Night Express, it was kind of like one of those moments, as you put it, and they kind of tried to build it up on commentary. Um, but the bottom line here is that I think Kenny King is a star. That's what I'm going to take out of this match. Rhett Titus continues to grow with pretty much every performance, and I really feel like that ANX... You know, they they don't have, like, the amount of quality matches, but they've put themselves in the top tier of teams at this point. Oh, certainly agreed. And then we have the two out of three falls match for the TV title. Uh, Christopher Daniels defends against Eddie Edwards. They had that really good match on TV, which I was luckily there live for. I know you saw it on TV and you were a big fan. Um... Again, Edwards seems to be over in, like, every every market, and I'm sure I'll talk about Edwards enough here um, during this match, Uh, but as with most Christopher Daniels matches, this one took a long time to get going, but when it got going, I thought it was really good.
1: Oh, certainly. uh, Agreed. Like, the first
0: ten minutes of the
1: match, it just felt really. Yeah, that's probably the best word to describe it. Honestly, it was just very plodding. I mean, it, you know, the crowd. I mean, you could hear a pin drop more or less. I mean, and then it just like I mean, just headlock after headlock, and then they started you know busting out like a few, a few like big suplexes here and there, as well as like some random submission holds, and then, you know, obviously the big, uh, the big dive and whatnot. Right. That happened, or the drop. Excuse me, the drop kick that happened actually really got started to get me into the match when Daniels was, um, by the turnbuckle, and then Edwards ran in from the floor and drop kicked Daniels right in the face. Like that was really the like the turning point of the match for me, where I started really getting into it, and it just seemed to shift
0: into a new gear out of its well unbearable phase. And Eddie's just all his offense gets a good reaction, and he continues to do like new stuff every match, which That that's kind of, I mean, that's really good for him, and that really says kind of that he's like really ready to take it to the next level, and that's why I feel personally he should be the next ROH champion. But um, yeah, like in the second half they started to do a lot of stuff. The finishes for me honestly felt kind of anticlimactic, but that is what happens with any match for me that has like multiple near falls. You know, just falls that wouldn't normally happen. Um, the first fall comes when Daniels hits a rolling leg cradle, I think it was around like the 23 minute mark, and then the second fall came with like, what, three or four minutes left, and he, uh, Edwards had a leg cradle, and like Daniels immediately tapped, um, that was a little more believable because the match had been so long, but I mean, you know, that's just how I feel personally about when you have multiple near falls, especially in like Survivor Series type matches, or big elimination tag type matches, but, um, Anyways, I guess the story at the end of this match was they both had one fall apiece, and then there was a head injury at some point that occurred, or not a head injury, but uh, Daniels was uh, visibly bleeding from the head. So, um, yeah, so yeah. that was the story. But go ahead.
1: Oh, oh no! I was just gonna say that came out of when Edwards did a Frank, uh, well, a
0: top rope Hurricane Rana, and then Edward. I don't even understand how Daniels just started bleeding out of nowhere. Right, I mean, it kind of caught me off guard, and then it actually ended up being a big part of the finish, or the after after the match. Yeah, I mean, well, like, it
1: looked like um, the type of finish that they were going for, I mean, when the two of them just fell to the floor. Right. I mean, it looked like, I mean, Daniels was supposed to hit the guardrail, and I suppose they were going to go for, like, a, oh, uh, he's been knocked out, or just completely knocked loopy type of storyline, but instead they kind of just changed a little bit to... uh Go with the blood aspect of it, which you know was fine by me, especially considering that likely now coming out of this match, I mean going towards Atlanta, I mean talking about how the Saturday show doesn't really have a lot of appeal well currently at all uh, that you could <laughs> likely um, do a re a, well third rematch, uh, I guess you would say at this point of Edwards and Daniels for the TV title with no time limit, sure yes
0: um. Yeah, I f- and uh before we get into that cuz we're going to that just in a second. I felt um I felt and I'm actually I think I'm going to like this match a lot better when it comes out on DVD, but I thought this match might have been appropriate somewhere else on the card. I don't know how you felt about that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, because uh when you look at it, it's like it's a big, long, well, I mean, 30-minute match between two hot sprint tag matches. Like right. I mean, obviously, I mean, the, where the world title match was, I mean, that was fine. I mean, like, this match, to me, might have been... I suppose it might have actually been a good choice to actually come back from... I
0: mean, would you say it would have been a good choice to come back from intermission? Uh, I mean, yeah, because... And the thing is, is, like, when you come back from intermission, generally you want to have a buffer, but the first 15 minutes of this match were a buffer for, like, anything. So, I feel like... you come back with this match, and and like I said, I thought the women's match could have broken up all these, you know, big matches on top. Um, But, I mean, I think it would have been fine in the really, just anybody, anywhere else but here, honestly. Um, And then, I mean, in the main event, they ended up working pretty slow for the first, you know, 12 to 15 minutes too, so it's not like, you know, you went from, you know, one ridiculous spot fest to the next, but... Yeah, very true. So, yeah, um, you mentioned it briefly, um, the scenarios leading into Atlanta... Um, I know you texted me and you thought maybe uh, for the appeal of the Saturday uh, show, because they are both going to be on iPay-Per-View, would be maybe as uh, the third uh, rematch, maybe an Iron Man match. Um, and I, I mean, I know we both think an Iron Man match is kind of pushing it, but, you know, that's really the only thing that makes sense in the basis of the storyline. Uh, for me personally, you know, or I think pretty much everybody, they would probably rather see a one, uh, one fall, no time limit, but that doesn't really add up a lot. Yeah, I mean, certainly, but then,
1: uh, it's just kind of like, though, I mean, because my whole issue as well with this Saturday iPay-per-view is it's just like, how many, I mean, the Friday show obviously is going to do very well, in my opinion, I mean, in terms of, like, uh, garnering viewers and whatnot, but then when you look at this Saturday show and it's airing at 1
0: p.m., or wait, is it noon or 1 p.m.? It is 1 p.m., and then Dragon Gate's running noon the next day.
1: Yes, yes, it's right, and I mean, it's just like, I mean, you really have to try and book something, I mean, in order for this show to really succeed, I mean, considering it's running in the early afternoon, and then it's like, you know, even if you want to have, like, viewers, like, on a different coast, I mean, that would have to be up, like, early in the morning in order to watch the show live, just as an example, I mean, uh, with this match, though, I mean... I, I personally, I mean, would think that, you know, just going for a regular no time limit match would be the best decision. But then it's also when you look at it, it's like, what are they even going to do with Daniels and Roderick? I mean, like some people were even having the like feeling that they may, you know, do a title unification match. I mean, but considering the implications of this match, I don't think that's going to be the case.
0: And I feel like now that we know, and I mean, I know we felt strongly about the world's greatest tag team in the Kings of wrestling being on that show. And I think, I mean, even when they like first announced this, we were like, Oh, they're going to do the tag title switch there. And we were also hoping that they were going to do the Davy one. Obviously that hasn't come to fruition and likely very unlikely that it won't. But now that they have that in position, I feel like, okay, you can do Roddy and Daniels because you're going to do the title switch. And it's likely it's going to be a really good match. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I feel like it kind of makes up for it, um, if that makes sense, but... Oh, yeah, well, I mean, and then also, I mean, you just have to factor in, like, talking
1: about, like, match positioning on a card and whatnot, and it's really, like, World's Greatest Tag Team in Kings of Wrestling, I mean, if they really are going to switch the titles, it should undoubtedly be the main event of the show. I mean, especially considering, like, the type of impact that, I mean, I personally have noticed, I mean, it's just like, you know, because... The Kings of Wrestling will be one or two days away from holding the tag titles that weekend for a full year, which is something that no other team in Ring of Honor has ever done. I mean, Aries and Roderick held them for nine months, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like something of that, you know, like importance to me, I mean, should really be made a big deal out of, and I imagine that they're going to build towards that, I mean, start like pointing out that fact.
0: Yeah, and I know another scenario that I've presented to anybody that would listen um, is that this match would actually go to a draw which did happen um, and maybe Eddie would win the belt in New York City I know how you feel uh, or you can talk about how you feel about you know the uh, title changes now not happening on DVD but then maybe that would lead to a uh, Eddie's Daniels blow off on on 4-1 if uh, Eddie was to win the belt but then you mentioned the unification and that was something that I had forgotten that I wanted to mention but I feel like the unification could have been or a title versus title could have been like they're out for having to do Daniels and Roddy again because there is an appeal to that even as useless or as you know whatever however you see the TV title but um, now at this point I don't really think that you know I don't think they have to do that but I assume that they could still put that as a draw I mean just because you know you are going to have the TV champion now no matter what in that spot um, against the world champion obviously Yes, I mean, um, and then, like, uh, when
1: you look at that, I mean, that match just on paper, I mean, like, um, especially, I mean, that's, like, the main appeal behind it, because it's, like, the Toronto match was not very well received,
0: obviously. I mean, like, what was your opinion on that match? Well, like, they've had four matches now, and I don't think a lot of people realize they had two matches on HDNet, and, like, you can say what you will about it being in front of the Philadelphia HDNet crowd, um, Nothing really gets a reaction there, or maybe it's just because of how the crowd's mic'd. I don't know. But they had two 15 to 20 minute matches on TV that were like just complete, distinctly average, like completely mediocre. Then they had the match in Toronto, uh, without a doubt ROH's second biggest market. I think they've clearly put Chicago in the dust as far as being the second market next to NYC, and they do this. Barry, and I mean, I know we've I've talked about it, not on this show, obviously, but Daniels and this seemingly, we these indies feel like they have to put Daniels in long matches, we have to put Daniels in these long matches, and then he has this 35-minute match with Roddy, and like, you know, just like this match, like the first half is just guaranteed to be slow and boring and just like plotting, and it's just like, oh, well it's another long Christopher Daniels match that is likely going to get good in the second half, but I have to sit through the first 20 minutes of it. And what happens is sometimes the crowds just never get into it, and that's what happened in Toronto. I mean, I didn't think it was, like, badly worked or anything. It was a fine match. Um, and then they actually came back in Virginia and had a fourth match in the opener, which was impromptu and unscheduled, and the crowd was completely dead for that too, which makes very little sense to me. That, you know, you come out, Virginia, which is kind of, it's a new market, the Richmond, it's their second show there, you have an impromptu match to open the show with your TV and world champion, and the match gets no reaction. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's just, you know, uh, it's a testament to, like, I mean, because I've always said, you know, that Daniels, I mean, as a wrestler, I mean, considering when he left Ring of Honor, I mean, he was, you know, a wall heel. I mean, you know, he cut this huge, long promo, which I personally loved at the time, and then obviously when he came back, you know, he has to be a babyface, you know, because it's like, you know, the pioneer of Ring of Honor is making his big, 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 big return and it's like after a while though that luster wears off i mean it's like the same thing will happen if not already happened to homicide i mean where it's just like i mean they have to do something with them i mean you know obviously the most obvious uh, uh uh solution is to form a new prophecy which i just still blows my mind that they have not even
0: remotely like even thought about doing that In in the sense of homicide the rottweilers i mean you have to put guys around homicide more so than daniels and i mean i completely agree like is as little interest as i had as when homicide came back it makes completely perfect sense that okay you bring in homicide you have that uh that or i guess that okay it's his first time back around through all the regular markets you put him in special attraction matches and that's your that's your you know how, how you're going to build Uh, or, you know, why people would buy the DVD. You know, Homicide's back, he's going to have these special attraction matches. But now that they've built him up, he's had the world title match now, and I I feel like they are going to put guys around him. But, like, even Julius Smokes, he only shows up in New York City. Um, He should have been there tonight, I feel like. You know, and as much as I hate Julius Smokes, I hate Homicide even more without him. So I feel like they really need each other. Um, And with Daniels, I mean, you could go back to 2005, and really, I mean, when he came back in 2005, he did have the story with Punk. But I feel like after the draw and after the four-way when Gibson won the title, there just hasn't been... He's had literally no direction. Um, You know, they did the Matt Seidel tag team, which was okay, like, I remember they tried so hard to get a great match out of Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel. They must have had a half a dozen to a dozen matches before they did the tag team. And then they did have a couple good matches with the Briscoes. But then here he comes back, and I feel like it's, you know, he did shit on ROH when he last left, so now he's coming back, and it's kind of like that never happened. But, you know, and then again, you know, it's okay if maybe, like, the first time through the regular markets, so you just book them in these good matches or special attraction matches, but now something has to happen. And they just randomly throw the TV title on them. which just came out of nowhere. It's like, okay, we have nothing else for you. Let's throw the TV title.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it
0: just... That title switch as a whole just, like, really perplexed me. And, I mean, I feel like they're going to do something with Mike Bennett and maybe they were like, oh, okay, we want, like, a vet like Christopher Daniels to work with Mike Bennett or something of that nature. But, actually, Eddie and Bennett would have been a much better match because they actually are very familiar with each other and have worked before. You know, they're both out of the, like the uh, message Boston scene or whatever. So kind of surprised with that. And Mike Bennett's kind of taken, they put him in the Steve Carino feud. So the whole TV title thing is, I guess, kind of been put on the back burner, at least for now. Um, and then obviously he won the prospect tournament, which hasn't aired on TV yet. So who knows?
1: Yes. Um, to get on the topic as well about, um, we were talking about if Eddie Edwards to win the belt in New York, right. Um, I mean, ever since they started View, I just have never really seen, you know, the possibility, I mean, actually, I I guess I should say no, the TV deal. I've never really seen. Well, the TV deal plus view, I've never really seen a possibility of doing it just on a random DVD show. But in the case of this New York show, it has been stuck between. Well, the this tonight's pay per view, and then it's stuck between Atlanta. And it's just like, I mean, they need to do something in order to try and garner some type of, you know, interest out of it. And Edwards winning the belt, I mean, I personally feel like, I mean, it would be too soon for him, I suppose. I guess it's just my general feeling towards it. But at the same time, if they were to go with it, it would be something very unlike the past ROH tendencies over the last three Three years and really since Shima. So. Yes, I mean because then Morshima, you know, he came in and like won on his first title shot in his first weekend.
0: Yeah, and I mean you touched a lot of points there that I'm likely gonna forget something. But as far as yeah, I mean the DVD thing, uh, when you have TV and now the ipay pay-per-views. I per views are clearly the priority. And if they would have lost TV and not had I I pay-per-view, I would feel, I would feel much more uncomfortable about more uncomfortable about the promotion promotion as a whole. I mean, honestly, I think they would be in very bad trouble if they hadn't found iPay-Per-View. But um, they do have iPay-Per-View, but I feel like DVDs are still a good base for the company and, like, why, you know, the iPay-Per-Views sometimes are going to sell themselves, you know, if you just, like, put a really good card together and promote it right. And I feel like, well, now if you do a title switch on a DVD, it's going to sell DVDs. It's going to sell more than your every other DVD. So I feel like that's a big plus. And as far as Eddie winning it maybe too early, you know, you mentioned how they've had this tendency the last, you know, three and a half years, and I could go on a really big rant as far as just how... I feel like there's been a lot of, like, really weird decision-making um, and they really want to establish the guys and they want to have them lose like what feels like you know a certain amount of matches before they can win the title and build them up properly. but I feel like this is two thousand and eleven. everything moves at a much quicker pace. the fans are gonna have their likes and dislikes they' gonna change a lot more rapidly. Um, and I feel like honestly for me, I feel like the time is now for Eddie. I mean I think he's i don't I, he's had some really tough luck too like he was supposed to have the generico match, which really could have been like, just a huge breakout match. The Omega match, which would have been on iPay-Per-View in uh, December instead of, you know, we got, like, a 13-minute Sanjay Dutt match which didn't obviously light the world on fire. And then, you know, we had a really good match here with Daniels, but he's, like, he's so fresh. And it's like, if he wins the title, you know, everything's going to be, like, super fresh. Um, so, and that means a lot for it to me. And it, it, it would be, like, it would break the habit that they've had the last three and a half years of everybody having to be built up to a certain point. And, you know, it'd be like, not so much like Aries, but I mean, Aries was in the company for six months during his first title reign, and then he just won the title on his first opportunity. And I feel like they need to break the streak that they've had here and give somebody the ball and give somebody the opportunity to really go with it. And I feel like Eddie Edwards, if they want to be ahead of the curb, so to speak, which is something they haven't been for a long time, then they would put the belt on Eddie. That's just me. Yeah, well... Yeah, looking at it like that, and then
1: in all honesty, I mean, considering the fact that, you know, they now do not have a TV deal to worry about, and it is only live shows, right. I think once the TV deal is officially done and over with, I would say it would be obviously much more safe to be able to go and, and just do a title change on a random DVD, because then you don't have to worry about the continuity that a lot yeah. of the Ring of Honor fans have had to deal with once the TV deal started. And
0: that, and that certainly affected a lot of things, was the TV continuity, you know, and, like, I mean, I know there were ways around, like, protecting, like, you know, when somebody's holding the belt this show or that show, but, like, in in December, before Strong defended against Davy at Final Battle, you know, you have Truth Martini on the outside constantly, you know, for a show that's obviously going to air after the Final Battle match, they have him saying, here's your world champion, Roderick Strong, you know, so it kind of, like, and you just won't have to worry about, like, those sort of things as well, but, I mean, I would certainly agree, and, I mean, I mean, I just... and person, I don't want to see Roderick Strong-Christopher Daniels. That's what it comes down to. I mean, um... But, what can you do?
1: Yeah,
0: fair enough. Moving on to the main event. We got off there, but that's okay. Briscoes and the World's Greatest Tag Team in a number one contenders match. I mean, I think the odds of the Briscoes winning this match were about... The odds that I have of marrying Hayden Panettiere. Wow, I really brought that together. Um... (laughs) I personally love this main eventing. You know, you have a tag title match on the undercard, the world title match on the undercard, and then you still have two great tag teams that is, like, so worthy of being in a main event. Um, and like I kind of mentioned with the world title, it really breaks up the typical pattern or mold, you know, of a show, or at least of the shows that ROH has been doing. Um, and like I said, you know, that goes without saying there was a tag title match on the undercard, so now you have two tag te- other tag teams in the main event. That's kind of a big deal. Oh. Yes. um, Like, this
1: match as a whole, like, I mean, obviously I had already said that the tag title match was my personal favorite match of the night. This one, um, it really, this one really, like, started to feel to me like it took a while to get going. And obviously the crowd was, like, very quiet for the majority of it, I felt, until they started doing some really, like, wild, well, they started really picking the pace up quite a bit.
0: Yeah, this was really slow, again, like, the first 12 or 15 minutes, I felt. Like, I actually put some of the match times on certain matches, and this match started at, like, 11.24 Eastern, and, like, I thought I had typoed because then I looked back to the clock and it was, like, 11.37, and they really hadn't done anything. Um, but, yeah, when this picked up, this got just really good. And what uh, kind of intrigued me about this match is what type of... You know, what type of match would we get here? Would we get, like, the Briscoes working at the world's greatest tag team's pace, or vice versa? And, I mean, I would say it was more the Briscoes working their style. um, But really, it just, like, slowed down the Briscoes a little bit, because they still did, you know, some cool stuff, obviously. Um, So it was for the better. Um, And then, of course, you know, what got the biggest pops of the night were two crowd dives. I don't know what it is about crowd dives that just gets everyone... Going ape shit, but it happened here twice. Also in the uh, what match was it? Daniels Edwards, yeah. Oh, when yes. Eddie dived, so um, yeah. And the finish came when Shelton hits a blockbuster type move uh, when he, uh, Haas was holding uh, Jay Briscoe. Um, the crowd was kind of caught off guard. I mean, I thought it was a good finish. Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, didn't like. I thought it was a great match. I it in the tag title match were really close as far as match of the night for me. I feel like when I get it on DVD, I can make a better, um, you know, a better, what, better assumption, I guess. Um, and then actually, the 2 out of 3 falls match, I feel like I'm really going to love on DVD, because um, I did really like the TV title match, but again, I thought that crowd was actually kind of weak too, but not near as weak as this one. Um, but yeah, a great main event, uh, pretty much what I expected. Actually, maybe a little bit better, because I wasn't sure what to expect coming into this match.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, I think with me, like, my whole thing, why I prefer the tag title match is just also, I mean, what we had already talked about. It was a, a bigger breakout for the All Night Express. I mean, it's like with the uh, with the World's Greatest Tag Team and the Briscoes, I mean, you know what you're going to get there. And then it's just like that surprise factor that came out of me with uh, All Night Express just having a very big opportunity and, like, take, doing everything that they could to seize it. I mean, right. I think that just is what put the match over the top with
0: me, as far
1: as, like, my favorite
0: thing on this fair view So, do or would you recommend somebody getting the replay? I
1: would say it's certainly worth it. I mean, you, uh... Can't go wrong
0: right. for
1: $15. Oh, yeah, Let's be exactly. honest. I mean, like, uh, it's not up to par, I would say, with, uh... Well, certainly not death before dishonor, and it's pr- probably a uh, few notches below final battle I mean uh, this past final battle that is um but certainly it has you know some very great matches, particularly I mean the second half like really just put the show over the top. I mean because the first half it was fine, but you know it wasn't necessarily like you know, oh you gotta see this show right and then I mean, just really the last three matches like really helped solidify it. Uh, so I would definitely say I would recommend a
0: replay. And now they've increased with every internet pay-per-view. The first one, I believe, did just under a 1,000. The Big Bang did, like, 1,250. Death Before Dishonored at 1,500. They've increased. Uh, they peaked at Final Battle with 2,000. I don't think this one's going to do that, but, uh, I mean, I assume s- they're going to hit a wall somewhere, you know, uh, with uh, this, like, building on the buy rates. Maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, I mean, what, what what kind of, what are you feeling as far as, like, uh, how many people got this? I mean, I would definitely say that it's going to be below Final Battle. Sure. I mean, just for the fact
1: that Final Battle, I mean, it had, you know, the conclusion to the feud of the year. Uh, It also had, you know, some fans who had the, you know, thought of the fact that Davey might have been winning the belt at that show. And this show, I mean, it largely sort of felt like a placeholder show going into the next set of pay-per-views. And that's, not to insult the show at all, right? because I still think it was a good show, but I just think that to most fans on paper, that's just what it came across as, and it's like, because then you got two Atlanta shows coming up, so this thing was just, which is kind of sad to say when you look at it, because this is the anniversary show, and it's like it's meant to set up the uh, big weekend ahead, I mean, whereas, you know, it should be like a weekend of celebration, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the exact feeling I had though after the show was that it was more of kind of just a placeholder and I felt like, you know, like especially after Daniels Edwards because I knew that hadn't concluded and that's definitely going to lead to something. Um, And then you have like a a non-title main event where the number one contenders go on to Atlanta as well. So, and you had your world title before, you know, intermission as well. A lot of things. I mean, but so, I mean, Final Battle did, as you said, what, 2,000? Yeah, give or take.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I would say it definitely, probably did better than Glory by Honor, but certainly less than Final
0: Battle. So, quick, before we go, what are your predictions for Pro Wrestling Guerrilla's DDT4 next weekend? It's a great lineup. Oh, Stina Tozawa taking the whole thing. Absolutely. <laughs> Without question, I mean, that
1: that show as a whole, I mean, obviously they said that they are not going to be announcing brackets
0: for it, yeah,
1: but I really there is not a bad combination of matches that could come out of that show.
0: And generally, you know, you thinking a tag team tournament. You're thinking a two nights. This is going to be a one show next weekend, March fourth. It's going to be crazy. Um, I'll obviously be staying up, geeking it out online like I always am, uh, wa- awaiting results on Twitter or the uh, felt or the sites, you know, message board or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, should be an excellent show, and I too to Zawasteen. Uh, But, JP, before we go, do you have anything else for us? Oh, uh, not that I can think of offhand at this point. (laughs) Now, the next time that you'll hear from us will be, I guess, in two weeks uh, for TNA Victory Road. I remember the name. I'm uh, impressed. Uh, You will be there live. I may be there live. Either way, we will be doing a show um, to review that, and then uh, we will... Not only us two, but we'll have some other people on uh, WrestleMania weekend. We're hoping to get a show in on that weekend. That's the plan. Uh, It's going to be a very tiring weekend, a lot of shows. Now eight shows in five days. Um, is the uh, is what it's looking like, so it's gonna be pretty crazy. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, freeadmissionfr.com. You can check out the site for news. You know, we're trying to make it look a little active. Um, updates on future shows and some other stuff. We'll ho- hopefully get some views up and get a, get the site a little more active. That is freeadmissionfr.com. You can Twitter us freeadmissionfr at freeadmissionfr. And be sure to become a fan on Facebook, of course. Um, so thanks everybody again for listening. For JP again, I'm Ben, and we'll talk to you Game. Very soon.